Welcome to the Dead Author Society. Frank Herbert, February 11th, 1986. Rest in peace. Children of Dune Chapter 28 The preacher sighed deeply. How far has it gone, this thing you've done to yourself? My skin is not my own, Father. (laughs) The preacher shuddered. Then I know how you found me here. Yes, I fastened my memory to a place my flesh had never known. Leto said, I need an evening with my father. I'm not your father. I'm only a poor copy. A relic. He turned his head toward the sound of the approaching guide. I no longer go to the visions for my future. As he spoke, darkness covered the desert. Stars leaped out above them, and Leto, too, turned toward the approaching guide. Ubak al-Kuhar, Leto called to the youth. Greetings. Back came the response. Zubakunar. Speaking in a hoarse whisper, the preacher said, That young assassin, Tariq, is a dangerous one. All of the cast out are dangerous, Leto said, but not to me. He spoke in a low conversational tone. If that's your vision, I will not share it. The preacher said. Perhaps you have no choice, Leto said. You are the fit Hakika. The reality, you are Abu Dur, father of the indefinite roads of time. I'm no more than bait in a trap, the preacher said, and his voice was bitter. And Nalia already has eaten that bait. Leto said, but I don't like its taste. You cannot do this, the preacher hissed. I've already done it. My skin is not my own. Perhaps it's not too late for you to. It is too late. Leto bent his head to one side. He could hear Hassan Tariq trudging up the dune slope toward them coming to the sound of their voices. Greetings, Hassan Tariq of Shulak, Lido said. The youth stopped just below Lido on the slope, a dark shadow there in the starlight. There was indecision in the set of his shoulders, the way he tipped his head. Yes, Lido said. I'm the one who escaped from Shulak. When I heard... The preacher began, and again, You cannot do this. I am doing it. What matter 
If you're made blind once more, you think I fear that? The preacher asked. Do you not see the fine guide they have provided for me? I see him. Again, Leto faced Tariq. Didn't you hear me, Asan? I'm the one who escaped from Shulak. You're a demon. The youth quavered. You're a demon, Leto said. But you are my demon. Leto felt the tension grow between himself and his father. It was a shadow play all around them. A projection of unconscious forms. And Leto felt the memories of his father. A form of backward prophecy which sorted visions from the familiar reality of this moment. Tariq sensed it, this battle of the visions. He slid several paces backward down the slope. You cannot control the future, the preacher whispered. The sound of his voice was filled with effort, as though he lifted a great weight. Leto felt the dissonance between them. It was an element of the universe with which his entire life grappled. Either he or his father would be forced to act soon, making a decision by that act, choosing a vision. And his father was right, trying for some ultimate control of the universe. You only built weapons with which the universe eventually defeated you. To choose and manage a vision required you to balance on a single, thin thread. Playing God on a high, tight wire with cosmic solitude on both sides. Neither contestant could retreat into death as surcease from paradox. Each knew the visions and the rules. All of the old illusions were dying, and when one contestant moved, the other might counter-move. The only real truth that mattered to them now was that which separated them from the vision background. There was no place of safety, only a transitory shifting of relationships, marked out within the limits which they now imposed and bound for inevitable changes. Each of them had only a desperate and lonely courage upon which to rely, but Leto possessed two advantages. He had committed himself upon a path from which there was no turning back, and he had accepted the terrible consequences to himself. His father still hoped there was a way back and had made no final commitment. You must not. You must not. The preacher rasped. He sees my advantage. Leto thought. Leto spoke in a conversational tone, masking his own tensions. The balancing effort this other level contest required. 
I have no passionate belief in truth, no faith other than what I create. He said, he felt then a movement between himself and his father, something with granular characteristics which touched only Leto's own passionately subjective belief in himself. By such belief, he knew that he posted the markers of the golden path. Someday such markers could tell others how to be human. A strange gift from a creature who no longer would be human on that day. But these markers were always set in place by gamblers. Leto felt them scattered throughout the landscape of his inner lives and, feeling this, poised himself for the ultimate gamble. Softly he sniffed the air, seeking the signal which both he and his father knew must come. One question remained. How would his father warn the terrified young guide who waited below them? Presently, Leto sensed ozone in his nostrils. The betraying odor of a shield. True to his orders from the cast out, young Tariq was trying to kill both of these dangerous Atreides, not knowing the horrors which this would precipitate. Don't, the preacher whispered. But Leto knew the signal was a true one. He sensed ozone, but there was no tingling in the air around them. Tariq used a pseudo-shield in the desert, a weapon developed exclusively for Arrakis. He holds him in effect, would summon a worm while it maddened that worm. Nothing would stop such a worm. Not water, not the presence of sand trout. Nothing. Yes, the youth had planted the device in the dune slope and was beginning to edge away from the danger zone. Leto launched himself off the dune top, hearing his father scream in protest. But the awful impetus of Leto's amplified muscles threw his body like a missile. Outflunged hand caught the neck of Tariq's still suit. The other slapped around to grip the doomed youth's robe at the waist. There came a single snap as the neck broke. Leto rolled, lifting his body like a finely balanced instrument, which dove directly into the sand where the pseudo shield had been hidden. Fingers found the thing, and he had it out of the sand, throwing it in a looping arc far out to the south of them. Presently, there came a great hissing, thrashing din out on the desert, where the pseudo-shield had gone. It subsided, and silence returned. 
Leto looked up to the top of the dune where his father stood, still defiant, but defeated. That was Paul Maldiv up there, blind, angry, near despair as a consequence of his flight from the vision which Leto had accepted. Paul's mind would be reflecting now upon the Zinsuni long cone. The one act of predicting an accurate future. How deep introduced an element of development and growth into the very prescience through which he saw human existence. By this, he brought uncertainty onto himself. Seeking the absolute of orderly prediction, he amplified disorder distorted prediction. Returning to the dune top in a single leap, Leto said, Now I'm your guide. Never! Would you go back to Shulok? Even if they'd welcome you when you arrived without Tariq, where is Shulok gone now? Do your eyes see it? Paul confronted his son then, aiming the eyeless sockets at Leto. Do you really know the universe you have created here? Leto heard the particular emphasis, the vision which both of them knew had been set into terrible motion here. It required an act of creation at a certain point in time. For that moment, the entire sentient universe shared a linear view of time which possessed characteristics of orderly progression. They entered this time as they might step onto a moving vehicle, and they could only leave it the same way. Against this, Leto held the multi-thread reins, balanced in his own vision-lighted view of time, his multilinear and multi-looped, he was a sighted man in the universe of the blind. Only he could scatter the orderly rationale because his father no longer held the reins. In Leto's view, a son had altered the past. And a thought as yet undreamed in the farthest future could reflect upon the now and move his hand. Only his hand. Paul knew this because he no longer could see how Leto might manipulate the reins, but only recognize the inhuman consequences which Leto had accepted. He thought, Here is the change for which I prayed. Why do I fear it? Because it's the golden path. I'm here to give purpose to evolution and therefore to give purpose to our lives, Leto said. Do you wish to live those thousands of years, changing as you now know you will change? Leto recognized that his father was not speaking about physical changes. Both of them knew the physical consequences. Leto would adapt adapt. The skin, which was not his own, 
would adapt and adapt. The evolutionary thrust of each part would melt into the other, and a single transformation would emerge. When metamorphosis came, if it came, the thinking creature of awesome dimensions would emerge upon the universe, and that universe would worship him. No. Paul was referring to the interchanges, the thoughts and decisions which would inflict themselves upon the worshippers. Those who think you dead, Leto said, you know what they say about your last words. Of course. Now I do what all life must do in the service of life. Leto said, Never said that, but a priest who thought you could never return and call him liar. Put those words into your mouth. I'd not call him a liar. Paul took in a deep breath. Those are good last words. Would you stay here or return to that hut? in the basin of Shulak, Leto asked. This is your universe now, Paul said. The words filled with defeat cut through Leto. Paul had tried to guide the last strands of a personal vision, a choice he'd made years before in Siege to Burr. Before that, he had accepted his role as an instrument of revenge for the cast out. The remnants of Jakarutu. They had contaminated him, but he had accepted this rather than his view of this universe which Leto had chosen. The sadness in Leto was so great he could not speak for several minutes. When he could manage his voice again, Leto said, So you baited Alia? tempted her and confused her into an action and the wrong decisions. Now she knows who you are. She knows. Yes, she knows. Paul's voice was old then, filled with hidden protests. There was a reserve of old defiance in him, though. He said, I'll take the vision away you if I can. Thousands of peaceful years, Leto said. That's what I'll give them. Dormancy. Stagnation. Of course, those forms of violence which I permit. It'll be a lesson which humankind will never forget. I spit on your lesson. (laughs) Paul said, You think I've not seen a thing similar to what you choose. You saw it, Leto agreed. Is your vision any better than mine? Not one whit better. Worse, perhaps, Leto said. Then what can I do but resist you? Paul demanded. Kill me, perhaps? I'm not that innocent. 
I know what you've set in motion. I know about the broken quanets and the unrest. And now a son Tariq will never return to Shulak. You must go back with me. Or not at all, because this is my vision now. I choose not to go back. How old his voice sounds, Leto thought. And the thought was a wrenching pain. He said, I have the hawk ring of the Atreides concealed in my dishdasha. Do you wish me to return it to you? If I had only died, Paul whispered. I truly wanted to die when I went into the desert that night, but I knew I could not leave this world. I had to come back and restore the legend, Leto said. I know. The jackals of Jakarutu were waiting for you that night, as you knew they would be. They wanted your visions. You knew that. I refused. I never gave them one vision. But they contaminated you. They fed you spice essence, implied you with women and dreams, and you did have visions. Sometimes... How sly his voice sounded. Will you take back your hawk ring? Leto asked. Paul sat down suddenly on the sand. A dark blotch in the starlight. No! So he knows the futility of that path, Leto thought. This revealed much, but not enough. The contest of the visions had moved from its delicate plane of choices down to a gross discarding of alternatives. Paul knew he could not win, but he hoped yet to nullify that single vision to which Leto clung. Presently, Paul said, Yes, I was contaminated by the drug Rutu, but you contaminate yourself. That's true. Lido admitted, I am your son. And are you a good Fremen? Yes. Will you permit a blind man to go into the desert finally? Will you let me find peace on my own terms? He pounded the sand beside him. No. I'll not permit that, Lido said. But it's your right to fall upon your knife if you insist upon it. And you would have my body. True. No! And so he knows that path. Leto thought. The enshrining of Maudib's body by his son could be contrived as a form of cement for Leto's vision. You never told them, did you, father? Leto asked. I never told them. But I told them, Leto said. I told Muries. Kralizek, the typhoon struggle. Paul's shoulders sagged. 
You cannot, he whispered. You cannot. I am a creature of this desert now, father, Leto said. Would you speak thus to a Coriolis storm? You think me coward for refusing that path, Paul said, his voice husky and trembling. Oh, I understand you well, son. Augury and haruspication have always been their own torments. But I was never lost in the possible futures because this one is unspeakable. Your jihad will be a summer picnic on Kaladin by comparison. Leto agreed. I'll take you to Gurney Halleck now. Gurney? He serves the sisterhood through my mother. And now Leto understood the extent of his father's vision. No, father. Gurney no longer serves anyone. I know the place to find him, and I can take you there. It's time for the new legend to be created. I see that I cannot sway you. Let me touch you then, for you are my son. Leto held out his right hand to meet the groping fingers, felt their strength, matched it, and resisted every shift of Paul's arm. Not even a poison knife will harm me now. Leto said, I'm already a different chemistry. Tears slipped from the sightless eyes, and Paul released his grip, dropped his hand to his side. If I'd chosen your way, I'd have become the bi-chorus of Shaitan. What will you become? For a time, they will call me a missionary of Shaitan, too. Leto said, then they'll begin to wonder, and finally, they'll understand. You didn't take your vision far enough, Father. Your hands did good things and evil. But the evil was known after the event, which is the way of many great evils, Leto said. You crossed over only into part of my vision. Was your strength not enough? You know I couldn't stay there. Could never do an evil act. It was known before the act. I'm not Jakarutu. He clambered to his feet. Do you think me one of those who laughs alone at night? It is sad that you were never really Fremen, Leto said. We Fremen know how to commission the Arifa. Our judges can choose between evils. It's always been that way for us. Fremen, is it? Slaves of the fate you helped to make. Paul stepped toward Leto, reached out in an oddly shy movement, touched Leto's sheathed arm, explored up it to where the membrane exposed an ear and the cheek, and finally, the mouth. Ah, uh, 
it is your own flesh yet. He said, Where will that flesh take you? He dropped his hand into a place where humans may create their futures from instant to instant. So you say, an abomination might say the same. I'm not an abomination, though I might have been, Leto said. I saw how it goes with Alia. The demon lives in her father, Gani, and I know that demon. It's the Baron, your grandfather. Paul buried his face in his hands. His shoulders shook for a moment. Then he lowered his hands, and his mouth was set in a harsh line. There is a curse upon our house. I pray that you would throw that ring into the sand, and that you deny me and run away to make another life. It was there for you. At what price? After a long silence, Paul said, The ends adjust the path behind it. Just once I failed to fight for my principles, just once I accepted the Mahadinat. I did it for Chani, but it made me a bad leader. Leto found he couldn't answer this. The memory of that decision is there within him. I cannot lie to you any more than I could lie to myself, Paul said. I know this. Every man should have such an auditor. I will only ask this one thing. Is the typhoon struggle necessary? It's that or humans will be extinguished. Paul heard the truth in Leto's words, spoke in a low voice, which acknowledged the greater breadth of his son's vision. I did not see that among the choices. I believe the sisterhood suspects it, Leto said. I cannot accept any other explanation of my grandmother's decision. The night wind blew coldly around them then. It whipped Paul's robe around his legs. He trembled. Seeing this, Leto said, You've a kid, father. I'll inflate the tent and we can spend this night in comfort. But Paul could only shake his head, knowing he would have no comfort from this night or any other. How deep a hero must be destroyed, he said it himself. Only the preacher could go on now. Fremen were the first humans to develop a conscious, unconscious symbology through which to experience the movements and relationships of their planetary system. They were the first people anywhere to express climate in terms of semi-mathematic language whose written symbols embody and internalize the external relationships. The language itself 
was part of the system it described. Its written form carried the shape of what it described. The intimate local knowledge of what was available to support life was implicit in this development. One can measure the extent of this language system interaction by the fact that Vatman accepted themselves as foraging and browsing animals. The Story of Liet Kynes by Hark Al Adar. Kave Wahid, Stilger said. Bring coffee. He signaled with a raised hand to an aide who stood at one side near the single door to the austere rock-walled room where he had spent this wakeful night. This was the place where the old Femineb usually took his Spartan breakfast, and it was almost breakfast time. But after such a night, he did not feel hungry. He stood stretching his muscles. Duncan Idaho sat on a low cushion near the door, trying to suppress a yawn. He had just realized that, while they talked, he and Stilger had gone through an entire night. Forgive me still, he said. I've kept you up all night. To stay awake. All night adds a day to your life, Stilger said, accepting the tray of coffee as it was passed in the door. He pushed a low bench in front of Idaho, placed the tray on it, and sat across from his guest. Both men wore the yellow robes of mourning, but Idaho's was a borrowed garment worn because the people of Deburr had resented Atreides green of his working uniform. Stilgar poured the dark brew from the fat copper carafe, sipped first, and lifted his cup as a signal to Idaho, the ancient Femin custom. It is safe. I've taken some of it. The coffee was Hara's work, done just as Stilgar preferred it, the beans roasted to a rose brown, ground to a fine powder, in a stone mortar, while still hot, boiled immediately. A pinch of melange added. Idaho inhaled the spice-rich aroma, sipped carefully, but noisily. He still did not know if he had convinced Stilger. His mintat faculties had begun to work sluggishly in the early hours of the morning, all of his computations confronted at last by the inescapable datum supplied in the message from Gurney Halleck. Aldia had known about Leto. She'd known. And Javid had to be a part of that knowing. I must be freed of your restraints, Ido said at last taking up the arguments once more. Stilger stood his ground. The agreement of neutrality requires me to make hard judgments. Ghani is safe here. You and Aurelian are safe here. But you may not send messages, receive messages, yes. But you may not send them. I've given my word. 
This is not the treatment usually accorded a guest and an old friend who has shared your dangers, Ido said, knowing he'd used this argument before. Stilker put down his cup, setting it carefully into its place on the tray and keeping his attention on it as he spoke. We Fremen don't feel guilt for the same things that arouse such feelings in others, he said. He raised his attention to Idaho's face. He must be made to take Ghani and flee this place, Idaho thought. He said, It was not my intention to raise a storm of guilt. I understand that, Stilger said. I raised the question to impress upon you our Bremen attitude, because that is what we are dealing with, Fremen. Even Alia thinks Fremen. And the priests, they are another matter, Stilger said. They want the people to swallow the great wind of sin, taking that into the everlasting. This a great blotch by which they seek to know their own piety. He spoke in a level voice, but Idaho heard the bitterness and wondered why that bitterness could not sway Stilger. It's an old trick. Old trick of autocratic rule. Idaho said. Alia knows it well. Good subjects might feel guilty. The guilt begins as a feeling of failure. The good autocratic provides many opportunities for failure in the populace. I've noticed. Stilker spoke dryly. But you must forgive me if I mention to you once more that this is your wife of whom you speak. It is the sister of Maudib. She's possessed, I tell you. Many say it. She will have to undergo the test one day. Meanwhile, there are other considerations more important. Ido shook his head sadly. Everything I've told you can be verified. Communication with Jakarutu was always through Alia's temple. The plot against the twins had accomplices there. Money for the sale of worms off-planet goes there. All of the strings lead to Alia's office to the Regency. Stilger shook his head. Drew in a deep breath. This is neutral territory, I've given my word. Things can't go on this way. Idaho protested. listening to the Dead Authors Society. Be sure to follow for more content posted several days a week.